Welcome to this edition of the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast. Always great to have you with us with Chris Dorch. I'm Kevin Ingram. Coming up on today's show, we're going to talk to Mr. ACC, Brett Friedlander, about what's going on in that league. How good is North Carolina? What's it going to look like a few months from now when they add some teams? So looking forward to visiting with Brett, who, of course, is a contributing editor with Blue Ribbon. Chris, what's up, man? Uh, Is all the uh, snow and everything melted down your way? We we had some rain, so everything's looking a little better, uh, just a little rainy and foggy here at this point. Yeah, the, the snow is gone. It's not nearly as cold. I, I've returned to the land of the living <laughs> after uh, it turns out I had to go to the doctor. I, I had the spawn of, of Satan's sinus infection. Uh, it was a special variety of, of sinus infection. Um, I needed some heavy duty antibiotics to, to get rid of it. So um, it, it only goes to show you if you start feeling sick, do not soldier on. Go to your doctor uh, before it gets too bad. Uh, I let it get way out of control, man. I'm usually not like that, but you know it's the heart of the season. It, yeah, I'm, plus I'm, I'm teaching, so it's hard to find the time. Yeah, I'm the worst about that. I, I always try to just power through, and sometimes it works, and sometimes it doesn't, and sometimes you lose your voice, which is a bad thing if you're trying to do broadcasting. Oh, for work. you, man. <laughs> Let's talk first of all about just life on the road in conference play. And it feels like we've seen a lot of examples of that just over the last few days, especially in the Southeastern Conference. I know we're we're based both in in Tennessee, so we're right in the heart of the SEC. Let's start with a game on Wednesday night in Tuscaloosa. Alabama handed Auburn its first conference loss, 79-75. Auburn was ranked number eight. And yeah, you can look at the ranking and say it was an upset, but it's also the Iron Bowl of basketball and Alabama's really good. And Auburn, to me, has looked like the best team in the league so far. Alabama came out on fire, red hot. Auburn rallied and caught up. Then you got to the end, and you had some big plays by Mark Sears. He didn't shoot it great, but he scored 22. Baker Mazzara was only to make able to make two out of three on a three-shot foul with about 10 seconds, which was a questionable call on the foul to begin with. That made it a one-point game, and then Alabama got to the finish line, made some free throws, although... The play that saw Jani Broom foul out on that trap in the corner and it looked like Auburn might get a steal and, and have a chance to really make it tight uh, was questionable as well. And uh, Broom finished up with 25 points and 14 rebounds. But for Auburn, you go on the road and you play in Tuscaloosa. It's a hostile environment. That's one of the, the great rivalries in all of sports. Anytime those two teams and schools play in anything, it's always a little extra cranked up. But um, I, I thought that was probably the best game I've seen all week. Well, the, the origins of that outcome uh... – uh, can be traced back to Knoxville on Saturday, where Tennessee spanked Alabama, and uh, Nate Oates was not happy. We just weren't tough enough, you know. Yeah. We just weren't tough. Yeah, and and I thought, man, those practices next week are going to be brutal. But he just he realized that uh, they they just weren't playing with passion, especially on the defensive end, and. And uh, Tennessee is, is playing at a high level and, and just laid it to Alabama. But you figured they would come back angry uh, when they got back home. And what, what was that line about uh, uh, watching a tennis match? Was that something somebody from an opposing team criticized Alabama's fans or something? But uh, uh, did you see that banner? And uh, Jay Williams was messing with Nate Oates. He threw him a tennis ball at the at – the, shoot around yeah i saw that i didn't really I, I know exactly did. what all that was about either uh yeah i, I couldn't figure it out but I, the best i could imagine somebody said going to a basketball game at 
uh, uh, Coleman must must be akin to watching a tennis match, right? Because of the way you they know, play. The, mm-hmm. Yeah, and the fans don't get into it. Uh, maybe I don't know, uh, but but yeah, they definitely go up and down. So uh, they got up and down, and uh, Mark Sears obviously was Mark Sears again. He, he did okay scoring wise against against Tennessee, but Tennessee just flat out neutralized Alabama. And I think that's a good learning experience. I, I think, I don't know, in college basketball, in, in life, really, you learn more when you screw up than, than when you succeed. When you succeed, you get the big head a little bit. Uh, well, you know what's ironic about that Alabama-Auburn game? Auburn, and, and a lot of people think they're the best team in the league, but they have yet uh, to bag a quad one win. They're uh, 0-3 in those opportunities. And Alabama, on the other hand, people wonder why uh, the metrics uh, rankings keep favoring them. But they have three quad one wins. So, yeah, yeah, we'll see. But that was a great game and a great atmosphere, as you would expect, of those two teams. Another game I watched that was on around the same time was Georgia and LSU. And uh, that was a fun one, too. The Bulldogs won 68-66. He had an exchange of three-point plays uh, with Jalen Cook and Russell Chiwa. And then at the end, a fantastic pass from Jalen Reed to Jordan Wright. Wright missed a turnaround three for the win for LSU. And it popped out of there, almost uh, dropped to give him a one-point win. But I thought that might have been the best pass I saw the whole season from Jalen Reed. He threw that ball about 90 feet to Jordan Wright from the baseline on one end to the corner in the other end. It was right on target, but uh, that was a, a nice win for Boy, Jordan. Boy, he had a crack at it. He sure he? did. And yeah, Jordan the had, ball, a, had a good look. The ball was halfway down. Uh-huh. When it was on its way, I thought man that thing might go in uh but georgia is uh, another team in the sec is having a really nice turnaround season uh, among a bunch of teams in that league that are just way better than they were last year a couple nights back you had really one of the big surprises of the week south carolina's beatdown of kentucky which was complete with a court storm and we'll get to that in a moment chris what did you feel like that game told us about really both teams lamont paris's gamecocks are having a, a really nice season the Cats are having defensive struggles. They're allowing 77 points per game. Even in the excitement of their win over Georgia the other day, they gave up, uh, what, over 90 in that one. So can they get all that stuff fixed that they need to? They got plenty of firepower, although they didn't have as much against South Carolina. But uh, can they fix some of the defensive things and give themselves a real chance to, to make a run? Cal's track record would suggest yes. You know, he plays a lot of young people. That's just what he's done. He's recruited five-star talents. He was lucky uh, if Bob Huggins hadn't gotten behind the wheel that night for the Taylor Swift concert, whatever it was. Uh, it's doubtful he would have gotten his DUI, wouldn't have gotten fired, and, and Kentucky wouldn't have Trey Mitchell. And, and he's been a stalwart. And Antonio Reeves decided to come back. But other than that, they're really young. And uh, Avicevich, they're starting to rely on him, and that guy is, is legit. But – to me, when you're a young player, the last thing that comes, the last thing that you get is defense. You know, it's like you never had to play it wherever you were before because you were the star and you scored all the points and your coach didn't really, you know, insist on it. Now, if you're playing for people like Rick Barnes and, and others, uh, uh, Buzz Williams, just real hard-boiled dudes and just you guard, you know, uh, this is a different kind of league and Kentucky's going to have to shore it up. There's no question defensively. And as far as South Carolina, 
as I said last week, I really got to know Lamont Paris when, when he was at UTC and I taught there and he coached there and he's a super intelligent and, and super well-spoken and, and, and measured dude. He considers what he says. He considers what he does. And he seems to have a talent for putting together teams out of the portal. I didn't expect it. I honestly didn't. I don't know that many people could say, well, we'll see about old Brady. He, uh, when Brett joins us, he went there. And, you know, nobody loves the Gamecocks more than he does. Oh, uh, we'll see if he expected it, though, because uh, – uh, but they have – I mean, right now, as Joe Lenardi always says, if the season ended today, they would be in the in the NC2As, man. And that's a, a great accomplishment because a lot of people said when he got hired – uh, there's no way he's an upgrade over Frank Martin. Just no way. Uh, but, I mean, so far he's his team is playing like it. That uh, Carolina-Kentucky game also included a court storm at the end, and you can really see it coming at, at Colonial Life Arena in Columbia. Those things, I, I'm not a huge fan, and, and I've been in the middle of some of that stuff over the years in various places. Me too. And you also saw back earlier in the week, I believe it was on Sunday, when Iowa and Ohio State were playing in women's basketball and the, the superstar Caitlin Clark was knocked down just trying to get off the court in Columbus after Ohio State won. And it, it was an accident. A student was just running out there on the floor to be with everybody else and, and just happened to run into her. But, you know, that, that's a scary deal. And luckily she wasn't hurt. I think she just kind of had the wind knocked out of her and, and everybody was apologetic yeah. from Ohio State's end. But th- that could have gone really bad. But there's not much you can do about it to me. If if the kids want to run out there, you can bring all the security you want. You ain't going to stop them. No. It, it, in fact, it was insane. At South Carolina, I saw this yellow rope, and I'm thinking, that yellow rope is stopping no one. And literally, I'm talking literally, I looked away from the screen for one second when the students were just starting uh, to, to to file out there. And the next thing you know, the court is jammed with people. It was like ants on a picnic basket. And I later found out Dawn Staley was out there with some <laughs> of her players. So they were getting down. It was pretty civil, but uh, the SEC, uh, they don't take no malarkey, man. Uh, they changed their rules in the summer and, and took everybody back to square one. If you'd had a previous violation, and now they, they've jacked up the fines. It's 100K for the first, 250 for the second, and a half a million for the third. So it's like that, that, that starts to bite there. I don't care who you are, what athletic program you run, a half a million K for a bunch of kids running out. That's, that's kind of steep. So, you know, another court uh, storm that didn't get as much attention, but Tulane knocked off Memphis, and then some kid pushed David Jones. Huh. For Memphis, yeah, I, I did pushed see him that. in the back, and you know that was a malicious intent there. Um, so yeah, it it just uh, Matt Painter said something about it when Purdue lost it at at, at Nebraska earlier this year. He said it's it, it's time to address this because you know uh, people can get trampled. I've seen some weird things um, when I was a younger sports writer. It it had to have been. Tennessee beat Alabama in basketball. It had to have been because people were throwing toilet paper rolls on the floor like crazy. And one of Tennessee's cheerleaders uh, 
she stepped on the toilet paper roll and snapped her ankle hmm. and, and she was done for the year. And I re- that always stuck with me. It's it just like, this is so stupid, man. I mean, you're getting people hurt over a win. Yeah, it's great. We won, you know, go team. I'm a modder. Yeah. Rah, rah. But, um, when somebody blows out their ankle or, you know, the face of college basketball, which you'd have to call Caitlin Clark right now, gets thrown to the floor. I think she was more scared than anything. Yeah, I think so, too. And that thing at Tulane, that could have broke bad real quickly because it was a malicious push. The kid went over and pushed David Jones in the back, and he beat feet. I mean, if if, if Jones and a couple of his teammates had caught him, I mean, I mean it would have been a melee. So – I don't think fines are enough. I, I, I mean, I don't know what other powers they have, but apparently South Carolina, I mean, Dawn Staley could pull off something out of her role and pay that hundred K. So, you know, uh, uh, I guess they're okay with it, but uh, I don't know. It's scary. I'll tell you that. Uh, where I work at Vanderbilt, we had a couple of uh, instances like that in the last year or so. Uh, one, I believe was when Vanderbilt beat Tennessee in basketball last February on the shot by Tyron Lawrence. And the kids ran out there after that game. But before that, uh, back in the previous November, Vanderbilt beat Florida in football. And I didn't think that Vanderbilt should have got fined for what was uh, termed a field storm. We we had some students that made, in a very orderly way, came down the steps and it basically walked out onto the field. And uh, <laughs> I, I think Vanderbilt got a fine for that one, too. I was like, come on, man. that That's uh, yeah, that's tough. I mean, th- those kids weren't – I mean, it wasn't anything crazy. It wasn't like after a, an Iron Bowl game or something like that. It was just a few kids walking right. down and, and walking past the sideline and going onto the field. So that one was almost humorous. I've been around several of these things, and uh, when I did games for Belmont, of course, Belmont and Lipscomb here in Nashville is a long-time rivalry, the Battle of the Boulevard, and when they were both in the same conference in the Atlantic Sun, it it was a a pretty hot rivalry back a few years ago. Uh, It was always more of a a friendly and civil rivalry, but one time uh, when we played at Lipscomb, uh, Lipscomb won, and the kids all piled over the top of us right there on on press row in a radio spot and and, then jumped over and onto the court. And uh, when we were doing the morning show, it was mostly in jest, but I, I voiced my displeasure a bit. And uh, I think we even made some kind of bit about it where Mark and Frank were running out on the court with, with all the other kids. And uh, But the next time we went over there, everybody was like apologetic. So I'm sorry, you know, if, if we if we rush the court this time, we'll go around. It, it was really humorous uh, the, the way that everybody handled it. And uh, we all kind of had some fun with it that time. And then there was another time we played at Clemson. And this was 10 years ago in 2014, and uh, we played there in the NIT, and it was a quarterfinal game where if you won, you go to Madison Square Garden. And it was a close game. I remember that game. And Clemson ended up winning at Little John Coliseum. And at the end, all the Clemson folks ran out on the court. I didn't really know this at the time, but I guess that's the thing at Clemson, uh, that their fans basically go out on the court or go out on the football field when games are over. They, they let them come out there. Yeah. So after the game was over – the uh, ESPN cameras caught uh, our guy Craig Bradshaw. Who's one of my favorite players ever play at Belmont. He's a great guy. He just kind of looks around with this puzzled look and goes, "We're Belmont, man." And, and watching all these people like you know, storm out onto the court, I always thought that would have been a great thing to put on a T-shirt. We're Belmont, man. Yeah, yeah, we're Belmont with a picture of the court storm <laughs> in the background. But yeah, I've, I've been well, in the, I've been in the middle of, of quite a few of those things over the years, and uh, 
as long as they don't step on me or on any of our broadcasting gear, or, you know, any of our stuff, then uh, we'll be okay. I, I just don't like it when people come over the top of us and anymore you, you various places have different setups for student sections and the students are often uh, right behind you uh, where you're calling yes. the game and so uh, I kind of get a, a feel for where we are and you know generally you're not going to have a court storm that many times escape but, route. But, but you kind of got to be ready yeah have an escape route or have a way to protect your gear when uh, it comes down to the end of the game let me ask you this though have you ever experienced triple spillage during uh, a court storm? I'm glad you asked, Chris. I, <laughs> I, I've, I've experienced triple spillage and I've experienced a court storm. I don't know that I've experienced them both together. Uh, I usually try to protect the drink if I think a court storm is coming. But uh, yeah, you are a, whole different a legend <laughs> of March, uh, <laughs> having been bowled over uh, in the NCAA tournament by an LSU player who was as big as a tank. <laughs> Uh, and and he and he had a coke in his hand, and uh, each time his hand squeezed the coke cup, more coke uh, expelled out like a volcano. Oh my gosh! But but you took it like a man, you know. <laughs> I knew that the best thing I could do was have some fun with it, and obviously, uh, Ian Eagle and Jim Spinarkle did too on the CBS broadcast because uh, it made the rounds. I thought uh, for for one shining moment, I might actually be on one shot. It moment. should have been there, man. I was so <laughs> disappointed when it wasn't there. Yeah, I stayed up late to watch it, and uh, I don't, I didn't know at the time what I was rooting for, but uh, maybe next time. A few other things to talk about in the Big Ten. How about Northwestern? They beat Illinois in overtime 96-91, and that was after the Illini crushed them in Champaign about three weeks ago. They beat them at 30 points. Can we see the Wildcats make one of the rarest things in uh, college basketball, and that's a, a back-to-back NCAA tournament appearance? They're 14-5. and five. Wow. They're 5-3 and three in the Big Ten. They also have an overtime win over number 1 Purdue back in December. They climbed into the rankings after that and then promptly lost to Chicago State. Uh, they've only been to the tournament twice ever in 2017 and then last year. Uh, it'll be interesting, Chris, to see you know as they get deeper into Big Ten play uh, how their tournament resume shapes up because it's all over the map right now. It really is. And, of course, the Big Ten never lets up. They, they go to Ohio State or they host Ohio State. Then they go to Purdue. Uh, they they got to play Nebraska still, Indiana, Michigan, Maryland, Mer- Iowa State, Michigan State. It's a murderous row, as always. So if they can maintain, uh, they've got a shot. Boy, that that Chicago State loss, though, is the killer. Because not only do they look at the number of quad one wins you have or don't have, they look at the number of quad four losses. Yeah. And that that was just a puzzler in it. What, what was it? Seventy-five, seventy-three, at home. And I'm when when I tell you that Chicago State's program is barely hanging on by a string, its university is barely hanging on by a string. There was one year somebody told us their their SID they they had only had like a, less than three hundred applicants for the university. Uh, so, you know, I, I, they've since turned it around and, and gotten more competitive in basketball. But, yeah, for Northwestern to lose, uh, that's not the, the uh, in-city in, in rivalry you'd, you'd have figured they'd have, they'd have lost to. Maybe DePaul, but DePaul has problems of its own, doesn't it? 
Sure does. And yeah, that leads me to our next story there in the Windy City. Uh, Tony Stubblefield was fired in year three, one of the first coaching casualties of the season there at DePaul. Uh, Blue Demons are 3-15. and 15. They're 0-7 in the Big East as we record this. Their only wins against Louisville, against Chicago State, and against South Dakota. What kind of job is that these days? Uh, they have a nice arena in downtown Chicago, but it feels like we're far removed from the days of Ray Meyer and Joy Meyer and those outstanding teams they used to have when they played at the Rosemont Horizon back in the day. You know, speaking of Joey Meyer, God rest his soul, exactly, he passed yeah. not that long yeah, ago. Yeah, just a few days ago. I don't know that we uh, we mentioned it on our show, but um, R.I.P. for him. And I remember the days when his father coached and, and Mark Aguirre, and, and, you know, it was a happening. Um, everybody knows Chicago is loaded with talent, but uh, DePaul hasn't been able to get it, uh, enough of it. So, uh it's it's a shame. Our buddy Dwayne Peavy, who we know from uh, Kentucky and the, when he worked at the SEC, is the AD there. And Tony Stubblefield was his first big hire. And he, I'm sure it was tough for him to have to cut loose a guy uh, midway through the third year of the hire you made. But here, here's a, a staggering number. Uh, their announced attendance. Uh, uh, average announced attendance, which, as you know, is always inflated. Announced attendance, 3,556. Hmm. So they had to inflate that uh, just to announce it. So, I mean, that's when an AD has to make a move. Uh, when when you're not uh, putting panties in the seats, you just – I, I noticed some names uh, that, that I think the Athletic put together a list. I'm just not seeing some of them. Mark Byington from James Madison, he's a really good coach. Uh, I don't see him going up there. I think it would be another case of not that Mark couldn't get it done, but I think he knows. Uh, Stubblefield came from uh, Oregon. I think you got to know the lay of the land in Chicago maybe a little bit. Uh, Justin Ganey's name, the associate Head coach at Tennessee was another one. Josh Shirt, who you may know, uh, coached at Indiana State. And before that, um, he, he had coached at Lincoln Memorial. He's a really good coach. I just happened to luck up on Sunday and 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 clicked onto an Indiana State game. And, man, they score a lot of points and shoot a lot of threes. Uh, I think the name that makes the – Will Wade's name is mentioned. Yeah. Uh, but the name that makes the most sense for me is Brian Wardle the Bradley head coach. Uh, he's a Midwesterner, uh, Illinois native. Uh, so he knows the lay of the land, and that might be your next coach at, at DePaul. It's a tough league, though. Yeah. It's a tough, tough league. I mean, in this age of conference shifting, no league in the country withstood major defections better than the Big East. Revamped itself, retooled itself. Um, you know, made sure that, that basketball was, was going to be the emphasis. And boy, has it ever. And they've been able to, I don't know, uh, it, I don't know if, if dominate is, is, is the word, but certainly when their teams have gotten to the, to the championship game, they've dominated. Uh, Villanova twice and UConn uh, took no prisoners in winning national championships three since 2017. So, a brutal league, I think. And even though you'd think you'd have every advantage in the world being in Chicago, it's it's almost a disadvantage yeah. if you can't recruit the kids uh, 
you know, the kids just don't want to stay home when when they can go to the Big Ten schools. Our guest this week is a guy known as Mr. ACC. He's covered the Atlantic Coast Conference for a lot of years. He is an expert on that league. He's the ACC columnist for SaturdayRoad.com and, of course, a Blue Ribbon contributing editor for many years. Brett Friedlander, what's going on? A lot of basketball. <laughs> that's what we like, don't yeah, we? Yeah, boy, that's for sure. <laughs> Brett, last time you were on with us, it was last season, and we, we wondered whether – the aberration of Carolina basketball under Hubert Davis was the final four. And the reality was the way they were playing last year, but now they've flipped the script again. What is the reality uh, of basketball under Hubert Davis? Cause they're playing as well as anybody. It's really very amazing. I mean, the transformation that this program has, has had over the past year, and in fact, since the beginning of the season, we're watching Hubert Davis grow as a coach right before our eyes. I mean, he, he has, he's learned to use his bench. Uh, he, has, you know, he, has, he has learned to adjust on the fly. He's, he's scrapped the whole, scrap, uh, the, uh, the whole uh, switching defense to a much more uh, aggressive. And you know, I mean, they, they've, they've – They've given up 70 or fewer points in each of their last nine games, all wins, by the way. Uh, and and their, their three-point defense, which has traditionally been terrible all the way back to the Roy Williams era, uh, is, is, a, is among the best in the country. They're, they're out-rebounding teams by 11 per game over this nine-win uh, streak. Uh, and their chemistry is just off the charts better than it was last year. Uh, there are a lot of reasons for it, uh, but I just think it's a, it's a, it, it's a team that the pieces are starting to come together and I don't think they've reached their ceiling yet, which is really pretty scary. He, he really made some astute portal acquisitions too, didn't yes. he? Yes, he did. And, you know, last year, Pete Nance was a, a talented kid. I mean, he's, I think he's still playing for the Cavaliers now. He's, he's in the league, but he just didn't fit. Uh, you know, they needed that Brady Manic kind of guy, not necessarily talent wise, but a guy who isn't going to take any garbage from anyone who's not going to let the egos kind of go crazy in the faction start. He's going to pull everybody by the by the scruff of their neck and say, hey, let's get back in line. They not only have one of those guys this year, they've got two of them because Harrison Ingram is really a forceful personality who has who's filled that role on the court as well. And Cormac Ryan is also another kid who, if he played for Duke, he would be the most hated player in the country. Oh, no <laughs> doubt. Uh, R.J. Davis was fantastic in, in that game uh, against Wake Forest earlier this week. Scored 36, hit four threes, uh, and now they'll play Florida State on Saturday. Uh, are the Seminoles back? I thought they looked pretty good. I saw them play against Syracuse the other night. I think they are, and and it's it's not just the Syracuse game. They've been playing this well since the turn of the new year, and actually, you can look back even further. Early December, they were up fourteen points in the second half uh, in Chapel Hill, and actually, that was the beginning of the UNC turnaround. That second half, uh, when he scrapped the switching defenses that night and 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 started just you know playing straight up, and um, I, I think Leonard has kind of come, you know. It took a couple of games. It took a little while. They had to re, 
you know, reshuffle the deck. Matthew Cleveland left, and and I think he's kind of figured it out now. And that team always plays great defense. Le- Leonard is is a defensive guy, but now they're starting to to put the ball in the basket and play some offensive. Uh, you know, it's good offense, and and, and I I think that is a team that you know you look at the the, the bracket guessers now. Uh, Steve Forbes called them proctologists the other day. I think that was a maybe a Freudian slip. Maybe it was on purpose. I don't know. But you look at those guys, and they have three ACC teams in in the, in the bracket right now. And, and I think once all is said and done, that there's going to probably be maybe five. And I think Florida State is going to be one of those teams. I feel like I've seen all of Duke's games, you know, and as Pete Gillen once said, Duke is Duke. Uh, they're five and two. Uh, saw him play against Louisville the other night. I saw Pitts upset at, uh, at Cameron the the other day as well. What do you make of that team? Really, a, a team with John Shire as coach that, that seems to have most of the pieces they need. Well, first of all, the, the the second loss that Pitt upset has an asterisk by it because Jeremy Roach and 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 Mark Mitchell did not play, and Jeremy Roach is essential for this team sure. because he is that leader, he is that glue, you know, that guy that won't let Kyle Filipowski start pouting on the court, and you know, and, and they're already challenged inside, and without Mitchell, with his energy and his rebounding, they're 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 just not the same team. Uh, I, I think that once all the pieces are there, when everybody is healthy, uh, Shire has is, is, is got them to where they can beat anybody in the country. Here's the problem. It's a, it's a fundamentally flawed team that no matter what Shire does, there is there's an aspect that he cannot fix no matter what he does. They don't have an inside presence. If this team had Derek Lively II, I would say pencil them into, uh, where is it, Phoenix this year? Uh, yeah, Glenville, uh, uh, they, they just don't have that. And Kyle Filipowski is big and he has gotten stronger, but he is not an inside force. And, and again, Mitchell is, is, is an energy guy, uh, but he's not really that either. And, you know, God love Ryan Kelly. He plays hard. And when he comes in the, you know, he gives them a lift and, and he serves a purpose, but he's not a guy that, you know, if you're going to go up against Zach Eady, <laughs> good luck. So I, I just think that Duke is a very good team that has the potential to go very deep into March, but it's going to depend on their their matchups uh, once they get to the tournament. You know, another ACC team that that's, I think is, is an NCAA team, and we talked about it before uh, you went on with us, is Wake Forest. And we know that Wake Forest has, has played in stages with as their personnel has become either eligible or back from injury. Can you talk about you know, Steve Forbes' bunch? Yeah, I think they're, it, the 20-point loss or 18-point loss at North Carolina on Monday, notwithstanding, I mean, there are a lot of teams that are going to have that result. I, 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 yep. think, I think Wake Forest is one of the better teams in the ACC, and I think they're an NCAA tournament team as well. Uh, I, I say forget the, 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 the metrics right now, although I think their net is still pretty good. But just throw the metrics out because they're a totally different team now. Uh, Efton Reed uh, came in seven games into the season and made a huge difference. You talk about a rim protector. He gives them that. And now Damari Monsanto comes in and he gives them a perimeter threat that will open things up for everybody. Uh, Once he is able to play more than 10 to 15 minutes a game and they're easing him in, he's on a pitch count right now, 
once he's able to play a full complement of minutes and he gives him that threat from the three-point line, that's going to open up driving lanes for, for Hunter Salas, for Boopy, uh, and it's just going to make them a more dynamic team and give them so many more weapons. Uh, they already can score a lot of points. They're going to be able to score even more. And it's going to be incredibly interesting to see how the, the, the committee views them come Selection Sunday. Because if we use the guidelines that we that were established in football by Boo Corrigan and the football committee, that you know you you take a a key player out and they're a different team, and that's what you use to judge them. Well, you have to use the opposite with Wake Forest. You throw the first seven games out because they were a totally different team, and now anything from here on out, they're a different team from that. So it'll be interesting to see the the criteria that gets used. And, of course, the best way to do that, the best way to kind of keep things from getting crazy on Selection Sunday is to go out and get wins, and especially wins when they, you know, they they are quad one values. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how they, they go ahead. But I think you're going to see Wake go off on a tear here pretty soon. Dude, we got to switch leagues on you <laughs> because you went to South yes. Carolina. And, of course, everybody saw the the, the upset of Kentucky in the court storm and all that. What, what do you think of Lamont Paris's boys? Uh, I, I know uh, we talked about it, and I don't know, I guess it was back in the summer, and we wondered, could he get it done? Apparently the answer to that is yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think maybe you should start etching his name onto that SEC uh, Coach of the Year plaque because, uh-huh. uh, you know, the thing about the Kentucky win is that they had a great record. What was it? 14 and three going into that game. They're 15, 15 and three. And three now, I think. Yeah. They had a great record, but you know, the whole, Oh, look, they look, they haven't played anybody. They hadn't beat anybody. They got no quad one wins. Guess what they do now. Yeah. And, uh, I, I think they, they jumped like 26 points in the net just from that one win. So uh, it's, it's very cool to see uh, the excitement that is building. And I not a big fan of court rushes, but uh, as a, uh, as someone who went there and has seen that program just kind of fall into a malaise, to see that kind of energy uh, that, that that is being generated there is very cool. And I loved Frank Martin. I mean, he got him to a Final Four, and and he's a great guy, and he's a great quote. And uh, but sometimes, uh, as Tom O'Brien, the former uh, uh, Boston College and NC State football coach, used to say, you can outlive your usefulness, and there's, there's a shelf life. And he reached his there. And Lamont Paris was is was the absolute perfect uh, fit for that situation. And uh, there's a lot of basketball left to play, but they're in a really good position right now. One more before we let you go. Is it wacky to think what the ACC is going to look like a few months from now when you add Stanford and Cal and SMU and you, and you make it 17 teams? Yeah, you know, I, I don't know I don't know what the ACC tournament is going to look like. You know, that thing used to be, you know, Roy used to say it was a, it was a great big cocktail party. Well, you know, at a cocktail party, you knew everybody. Well, now, <laughs> I mean, who – who are these people? Where are they coming from? It's going to be an entire week. It's not like, you know, a cocktail party more. It's going to be a vacation from hell. And uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It's it's road trips are going to be interesting and uh, football rules. And I guess they can make an argument that 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 made sense for football, but it definitely does not for basketball. But here we are. 
Is it 17 or 18? I was trying to remember how many teams it was. It's 18 because 18, you got Notre right. Dame in the, in the mix. And that still boggles my mind that Notre Dame is in the ACC. Right. But, uh, yeah, I yeah. tell you what. Though, I haven't that, gotten that, over that, that yet. Yeah, <laughs> that, that, first, that first Cal SMU uh, basketball game for, you know, uh, ACC, go ACC, man. Yeah, nothing says ACC like Cal and SMU, you know? Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Brett, always a pleasure to have you with us. Thanks for the time. We'll catch up with you down the road. Hey, anytime, guys. Thanks, buddy. Hey, anytime. That was Brett Friedlander, known as Mr. ACC. He is the ACC columnist for SaturdayRoad.com and, of course, a contributing editor for Blue Ribbon Outstanding covering the Atlantic Coast Conference. He knows everything about that league and has uh, done a great job for many years. Chris, will finish up our show with a golf story, and uh, we started the day talking about the uh, Alabama-Auburn game in Tuscaloosa. As part of the uh, the TV broadcast, which, by the way, they had some interesting lighting issues during that game at Coleman Coliseum, and I think they even had to, to turn off part of the, the stuff on the, the goals. But part of the TV broadcast included a visit with 20-year-old amateur golfer. Uh, he plays at Alabama, Nick Dunlap, who just won a PGA Tour event back on Sunday. He won the American Express out at La Quinta in California. He's the first amateur to win on tour since Phil Mickelson way back in 1991. He's only the fifth uh, non-pro to win on the tour since 1950. What a neat story, and they were talking to him about how his life had changed just in the last couple days. But Nick Dunlap has gone from being a, a guy who's just a you know an outstanding college golfer at Alabama to a guy everybody knows after winning a tour event. That was really neat. Yeah, it was. It reminded me of, of the last two um, uh, amateurs that, that won on tour. Scott Verplank at 85. I was watching that tournament. That was back in the days when I watched golf every Sunday, no matter where they played. I later interviewed him when he, when he became a pro. Very nice guy. And then Phil Mickelson won the Northern Telecom Open in 91. And literally months later, here in Chattanooga at the honors course, I interviewed him and uh, I I found him to be a, a really good guy. There, there are people on tour that do not like Mr. Mickelson. Well, he's not on tour anymore. Uh, but uh, yeah, he was defending his U.S. Amateur uh, Championship. Then he lost, by the way, to a kid from Alabama, a guy named Dickie Pride. Yep. I'll never forget that. Um, so, uh, but I thought it was cool to see, uh, Nick Dunlap interviewed and, you know, he's, I, I don't know how the rules works on this, whether if you declare as an amateur and then you win the daggone thing, can you retroactively say, no, I was just kidding. Can I take my million and a half prize money? I don't know if you can do that. I don't think he's you can. But... Dec- yeah. Yeah. I, so he's got a decision to make though, because. He can get it. Uh, he's probably well with NIL. He really doesn't have that much of a decision to make. I guess you know he can take the NIL money and and uh, but he's certainly proven he can play with the big boys and that's got to be really cool. I mean, I, I had to look this up. I'm a big golf historian, or I love the history of golf. I wouldn't call myself a historian, but I do love the history. Chick Evans uh, won the 1910 Western Open when he was 20 years, one month, and 15 days. So um, Nick is the youngest guy in 90 years to, to get that done, or 100 years, or whatever it is. Pretty crazy. 
What was Chick's game? Was he like long off the tee or you know, good with the putter? I mean, what do you, what do you think he, he had going on? I think Chick was a shot maker, yeah? if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> yeah, one of those old school shot makers like Bill Murray <laughs> right. and, and Caddyshack. <laughs> I think he got all of that one. <laughs> uh, really cool story, though, uh, Nick Dunlap. And, yeah, Alabama has some uh, terrific tradition in golf. Justin Thomas, of course, uh, right now the most famous playing on the PGA Tour from that school. But it was neat to see that interview on ESPN the other night. Chris, uh, we'll tee it up again next week and talk some more hoops. And I uh, always appreciate the time. A lot of fun. And glad you're feeling better, buddy. I appreciate it, man. Thanks. He's Chris Dorch. I'm Kevin Ingram. That's the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast. We'll talk to you next time.